Go on, go with the headstone. What's on the headstone? So on the headstone, <laughs> here is Vanessa. She lived fully, she learned plenty, and she laughed heartily. She humbly tried to make you laugh, and if she failed, too late. Sorry. That's a big headstone. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a few headstones. It's a collection. Was this a mausoleum you want erected? Yeah, that's it. You know, and a QR like a... code if you, want, if you want to know more. You're listening to The Occupational Philosophers with Simon Banks and John Rice. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Occupational Philosophers, a not-so-serious business podcast designed to spark your curiosity, creativity and imagination. And so here we are again. Simon, hello to you. How are you today? John, I'm very, very well. And uh, your good self, your, the tables are turned. I have some wine. You have some coffee instead of the other way around. So yeah, we're all good. And we're, all uh, good, we're going into winter and you're starting to see the weather improve down under. Is that right? Yes, we are. Yes, lovely sunlight and all those little things which you're about to go into your little shit show of a winter for the next six <laughs> months. So um, I always feel glorious this time of year. Are you, are you waxing the surfboard, so, yeah. are you? Are you getting the surfboard ready, are you? Oh, it's, no, it's been, waxed, it's been waxed all winter. So oh, cool. The surf is better in winter. No, it's not. It's sort of like people go, oh, isn't it cold? But you don't go to the snow and go, oh, I'm so cold. You just wear a warm right. clothing. So it's the same thing in the surf. So, John, what's caught you um, curious? Well, on? I was, I was, this uh, week. it's something personal this week, Simon. I've been busy helping my mum, bless her, 87 years old. She's moving house uh, for a new chapter. And um, we had to go down and clear it out as a family, my brother and my sister and my mum. And as I was clearing things out, as you might imagine, we found all sorts of stuff, including a massive yeah, yeah. plastic bag full of all the Christmas cracker gifts we'd ever had as a family. So we opened this up and couldn't believe it that we found pairs of tiny nail clippers and, and plastic frogs and, and and little magnifying glasses and padlocks without the key. And we had to actually go through this and discuss with my mum whether it was coming to the new house or whether we were going to get rid of it or not. So there we were having quite a long discussion. Are we taking the nail clippers? No, I think they should go, Mum. I think we need to get rid of the nail clippers. Then no one's going to use them. So, yeah, that took longer than I thought, trying to clear out the house when we were down to that level of detail. <laughs> so there you go. So that was me. Nothing particularly profound, but I was curious as to how much you can keep hold of. There's something poignant in there, but we won't go there because this is not so serious. <laughs> How about you, Simon? What's caught your eye this week? A few things, but it's been the last couple of hours. Just been watching the the Australian Rules Football preliminary final, and just almost had a heart attack. It's the first time I've probably felt anxiety. <laughs> I was sitting there, and ah, oh, anyway, my team won, so that's just anyway. I'm still recovering. So, John, that's taken. Is this mind. Uh, AFL? This is pretty rough type sport. It's sort of like a ballet version of rugby. So <laughs> I can see our guests laughing, just going, what the hell are you talking about? Yes. Anyway, anyway. And let's get to that then. It is a guest episode. So Simon, who is the curious cat we have with us this week? 
Well, John, what a curious cat. And look, as always, when I read through this person's bio, I just feel ashamed about the lack of things I've achieved in my life. So let's go through this. Okay, so our guest is an expert on humor and leadership, is the founder and CEO of Leading with Humor, which is an innovative consulting firm that helps executives to harness the power of humor in their change management strategies. Now, you think it would end there, but no. International speaker and pioneer of theories of change through humour. Our guest also bridges, I've seen her speak, entertainment, business and academia. Now, speaking of academia, she's a guest speaker at several top business schools and universities, including Cambridge Judge Business School, HEC in Paris, London Business School, Oxford University, Toulouse Business School and Ed Heck business school. I hope I've said that right. Now, I'm only halfway through, so strap yourself in. Her work has been published in the Financial Times, the European Business Review, La Tribune, and the Harvard Business Review France, and Elle magazine. So not only cool magazines and academia. So like, this, yeah, you're getting a sense of uh, of what we have on our show today. Now, two times TEDx speaker, uh, stand-up comedian, created two comedy clubs, one in London and one in Cannes, where she both regularly performs. I'm still not finished, John. <laughs> Certified laughter, yoga coach and trainer. And that's the show. Thank you. No, but her main message, if you want to accelerate your business or career success, you need to understand the art and science of humour in leadership. Whew. John, please put your hands together for the most curious cat we've ever met, Dr. Vanessa Marcy. (laughs) Hey, Vanessa. Hello to you. Thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure. (laughs) What else can I do on a Saturday morning? To follow on for myself and Simon's introduction there about what's caught our eye this week, Vanessa, uh, what have you been curious about this week? What has caught your eye in the news or in your world? I've seen on TV the Frida Kahlo exhibition in Paris. There is a Frida Kahlo exhibition about fashion. I love fashion, so I'm looking forward to go to Paris to visit that. And I think the big news of the week is the CEO of Patagonia, who is giving away all the benefits Mm. of the company to fight climate crisis. And as I was saying on LinkedIn, is that, wow, that's just a big wow, because I don't know if I would give all my money if I was a billionaire. But I'm not... I'm not yet, so for sure I will start to be a philanthropist as soon as I earn my first million. It's just given me. Well, most people say after being on our show, their uh, their sales go remarkably <laughs> up. So uh, you're well on your way. So I was going to say, I'm just thinking maybe I should donate all of those Christmas cracker toys and just give those to the world. Now, maybe that could be my gesture. Now, Vanessa, where are you in the world today? We have people that listen all over the world. Where do you join from us France, from? From the sunny French Riviera, so south of France. How oh, lovely, lovely. Yeah. And the weather, let's do a quick weather check there, please, Vanessa. How is it out uh, the window? About 30 uh, degrees and sunny. Oh, how yeah, I know English how people, beautiful. they hate Get out. French nice. people in the south of France. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, Simon gave quite an introduction there, and as he said, you you have done a vast range of things and cross over many disciplines, but uh, how would you describe what you do? I help managers, CEOs, and entrepreneurs to harness the power of humor to be better leaders, put more simply. Ah, and so in that, you've got some, we always like to talk on this show about intersections, and, and we might sort of visualize that as Venn diagrams. 
as I mentioned, I'm bridging gaps between science, business, and humor. I think that's my intersection. Because I'm talking about business, I'm talking about humor, but I use science to do that. Okay. To bring some robustness to it, so that the yeah. research maybe that underpins that, the academic text. Excellent. Exactly. Because people, they tend to not take humor very seriously, so I really wanted to show that there is some serious science behind. Is that important, Vanessa, that as you talk to business, that you do bring the science with you? Could it work as well, what you do, if you didn't have the science sort of there to support your discussions with CEOs and managers and directors about the benefits of it? I think everybody who works and try to teach humor and work with humor are bringing their own vision of it and it's linked to their specific talent and their background and who they are. And this age sheet, I couldn't think of it without having uh, the backbone of science. I think it helps to go to a company and say, yeah, I'm a comedian, but... I'm not going to uh, do it in a funny way. In the contrary, I wanted to position myself on someone who is taking humor very seriously and who is not going to make them laugh necessarily, but who is going to teach them how to use it so they can make other laugh, but in a serious context. And presumably, again, this is, it is fascinating, uh, there is a spectrum of science that supports it as well. Presumably you would have psychology, you'd have sociology, you'd have neuroscience start to say, well, how does the brain react when comedy is used or humour is used in terms of how people sort of connect with each other? There is no specific science of humour, but it takes from lots of different science, as you mentioned. So that's why it makes it so fascinating. When you talk about the science of humour, is there a bit out of all of those things, sociology, psychology, neuroscience, is there a bit where people lean in and go, ah, I understand that a bit more or I get excited about that a little bit more? Yeah, I think it's because I deal with leaders. I deal with CEOs, with managers, Mm. with entrepreneurs. So they kind of need to prove that it's not just some wee-wee thing or that, that it has some robustness that they can bring, like some data. Lots of my clients, they, they ask yeah. me, can you give us some data? That's very important. I have engineers, I have data scientists, I, have, I need data. I'm like, okay, no problem. You know? So they need to prove. It still needs to be proven that humor has some benefits in companies. And that's why I'm here. Yeah, I often find if you mention the word neuroscience, people go, oh, okay, now I'm interested. Yes. <laughs> you could say anything after it. You just go, oh, and on neuroscience, they go, yeah, and you go, okay, moving on. Neuroscience. That, <laughs> you just need to mention and it. Emotional intelligence. That's the, oh. you know. <laughs> ah, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Two things. I like you. You put those exactly. in, everyone leans in. Now, maybe at this intersection of work or life, what, what lights you up? And gets you excited. Um, the fact that with one word, just humor, I'm able to uh, discover and learn about so many different sciences and also that I'm able to connect with people, helping them to connect with each other. I'm learning how to make business better, how to make our organizations better. So it's just one word, one thing, one tiny thing, which is humor. I've been able to learn so much about myself and others in the world. 
And that's extraordinary because when I started, I just wanted to uh, know about how Humo could help leaders. And I thought, okay, I'm just going to do one research and then what else? Can I make a career out of it? And three years down the line, I'm still not done with it. And I'm like, wow, I, every day I discover something about it. And that's endless. <laughs> Vanessa, we're always curious as to someone's journey to where they find themselves today. Do you have three words that described you at school? Yes, I prepared this one. Oh, uh, <laughs> curious, chatty and funny. <laughs> <laughs> what a great friend you would have been. <laughs> and yeah, obviously still are as well. So now speaking of school, you've had a really interesting journey through academia, through to stand-up, which is, in, for I see things, quite unusual, but in a very positive way. What were some of those leaps along the way? Like, where did you start? And is there three or four key steps? You've done so much studying. How did you land in comedy? Yeah, tell us a little bit more about well, that. Was, that was a parallel journey. I think I've always been interested in humour. When I was a kid, I remember in the kindergarten, I was recreating, you know, the slapstick comedy that I could see on TV with Charlie Chaplin or French humorists that I could see. But really, I got into comedy when I was living in London. So I moved to London for work and a friend brought me to a comedy club, which I didn't know what it was because I grew up on the French Riviera, not in Paris or in a big city. I saw comedy on TV. And for me, it was, wow, some people, VIP people got into TV because they were funny and that was it. And so I got into this world of comedy and I wish I could say that it was love at first sight, but I didn't understand anything. <laughs> I, di I didn't laugh once first the comedian was Scottish <laughs> and I was I just arrived in England and I didn't understand anything about the Scottish accent yeah. good yeah. luck yeah <laughs> <laughs> and I never seen this type of comedy where people you know are on the stage alone you know in front of drunk people about <laughs> their life and you need you need a certain understanding about the culture to understand stand-up comedy yeah. But yeah, it stayed in the back of my mind. And one day, a few months, years later, I came across this ad about a stand-up comedy workshop. And I like to challenge myself. And I thought, what a great idea to say joke in another language in front of 60 strangers in a pub. <laughs> <laughs> what can go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> But it was completely, you know, different from my academic journey because I studied uh, information and communication sciences. I did it because I thought about academia as a supermarket of knowledge. I learned a long time ago that university will not prepare me for the job market. So I always worked in parallel of my studies for what I wanted to do. For example, I started my career as a journalist. I didn't finish my study. Journalism funded my studies. I went into academia uh, with a different mindset, as a, with a curiosity mindset. What can I learn today? It was like a candy store. Oh, oh, sociology looks good. Oh, oh my God, I could learn about art. Oh, that, that was like that. You know, that was not, you know, in a way that, oh, this is going to help me in my career. Because yeah. my career, I was doing my career, I was preparing my career outside of university. And yeah, comedy was just 
something that I thought could help me to cure my fear of public speaking. Ah, I said that on my website and on conferences. I'm like, I was an academic. I was doing my uh, my PhD and I had to present my research for the first time in a foreign country in Canada. And I saw this big poster, like 5,000 participants. And it was my first time going to, you know, presenting outside of my university, my research. And I thought, oh my God, 5,000 people are going to listen to me. <laughs> and I got sick, and I was sick for two days. <laughs> I, I was like, to the point where my uh, I was with other colleagues from university. They were like, "You can go and present. You are so sick." You're, and I'm like, "No, I'm going there. I will do it." And then I realized that if you have five people in the room, you are lucky. <laughs> <laughs> the fear of being up on stage does that dissipate over time? Does it become normal for you? Or do you always have that sort of tugging in the pit of the stomach still? In some, maybe to a lesser degree, but is it always there? In fact, it doesn't disappear, but I learned to delay it. So, <laughs> so before I was anxious, as I mentioned, two days before, I was literally being sick for two days about, you know, projecting something that might happen and might not happen, you know, which is very bad. And I realized it's not useful at all. It makes me anxious. It makes me bad. And as a result, I'm not delivering at my peak performance. Now I delayed it because I just, I tell myself, it's not useful. What you are doing is not productive. So I allow you five minutes before going on stage to be anxious. <laughs> <laughs> and I know myself five minutes before where my palm are sweating, I drink water, I go to the to the loo ten times. I'm like, you know, now you can be anxious. I'm glad you explained that because when you said I've delayed it, I thought you meant you went on stage and then you came off and got sick. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking, wow, that's quite a way to deal with that, isn't it? <laughs> no, but also, I, 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 also being on stage, I've been on stage more than a hundred times with stand-up comedy and even more with uh, conferences and teaching. So now I know what I'm able to do on stage. And the moment I get on stage, I'm in what's, you know, is called now flow. I'm in the flow. I don't think mm. about anything else except being on stage. I don't even think about what I'm saying. You know, it's like it comes automatically now. And I'm thinking about the connection I have with the other people and do they understand? Are they attentive? Can I make them laugh? And enjoying the moment. And like that, you spend like an hour or two hours or a day just like, boom, blink of wow. an eye. And after, I feel high. I feel high. I mean, like, I don't take drugs, but I assume it's the same feeling as if I was on cocaine or something. It's just like, <laughs> I can't sleep. I can't sleep after. My first time on stage, at a, at a, the first time I was on stage as a comedian, I didn't sleep that night. I was like, my God, this is the best feeling in the world. I want to do it again. I mean, I was hooked. I was completely hooked. I was going to say, it's quite dangerous though there, Vanessa, because you could get hooked and then you say, hey man, I just need to get on stage four times a day. Come on, man. Just let me, one more talk. One more talk. And I know some people. <laughs> just, give me, just give me a little stage, man. Give me a little stage. Come on. Now, there is some science in what you're saying, only because I've, I've gone down this journey myself of uh, being tested for adult ADHD and different things happening in your brain. And long story short, she said, you've made a career for yourself of being on stage so you feel quite high. 
and that releases all the feel-good neurotransmitters in your brain. So when you're on stage, your thinking is really good because you're releasing dopamine, serotonin, etc. When you get off stage and you're at your desk, that's the problem. Yeah, so what you're saying, there's a little bit of, of science, behind, a lot of science behind this, and the nerves, I don't think they ever dissipate. So <laughs> only just basing what I, a talk I gave last week, workshop, fine, a talk in front of an audience for 45 minutes. Like you said, the sweats, go to the toilet 25 times, and you, you dry mouth. Uh, so I don't think it ever no, dissipates. That's why, that's why I decided that I took a conscious decision of delaying it and just you know allowing me yeah. a short amount of time because I know it's not useful. I know it's normal. But it's not productive, it's not helpful, and it's not true. I mean, I know what I can I can perform on stage. So I just accept it, and I allow it to be, and then I'm on stage. And that's uh, it's really interesting as well as you saying you're in the flow and you feel sort of you're in the zone, but you're still highly attentive to the audience. It's quite interesting mm-hmm. that you're not just delivering what you need to deliver. You're, the stand-up gives you that ability to read the audience better? And, yeah. And it, yeah. yeah, I think it it helps hugely because startup is all about connection. Mm. If you don't connect with the with the audience, with the public, it's not going to work. You can have like the best joke in the world. And if you don't deliver, if you don't connect with them, it's going to fall flat. Mm. It's not going to work. So it's super important. It is- is that part of the work you do when you teach the power of humor? Is it also, does that tie in with performance as well? Like when you work with leaders and people in organizations, is it part of that connection that you teach that goes with the humor or, or are they one and the same or, or not? Well, what I do with the leaders, especially in one-to-one coaching, is that really we, uh, mm. we go in the direction they need to go. So it really depends on their issues. So if they need performance, I teach them how to deliver a good performance. A lot of people are coming to me to uh, learn how to use humor to do deliver a TEDx type of talk, for example. But mostly it's about really the science, like when and where to use humor and for what reason, how you can get the most out of humor, basically. It's like you are, you are looking to change the DNA of your company, the culture of your company. How do you recruit the right people? Uh, you are delivering a presentation. Your presentation is really dull with like dry uh, data. How can you make it more entertaining? So it's really, it's, uh, it's lots of science experience and of course funny how we craft a joke where you put the joke you know exactly where it's the right moment what type of humor you should use so all those questions that nobody is thinking about because apparently i'm the only one who is intellectually humor in the world (laughs) (laughs) as they say humor is a serious business as you describe it there's so much in it um vanessa just as we come on this rapid fire round as well in the journey people that have inspired you along the way there's obviously been various points where you went one direction over another there must have been people who sort of came into play at various points of your journey and who might they have been and, and maybe who inspires you today it's not so much inspiration as mentoring i think i started my comedy career because of jay sodagar who is a british comedian was my uh, my teacher not my first teacher but certainly the teacher who gave me the confidence to go on stage and start my own comedy club and is always very supportive he's been an MC at my club many times and yeah it just makes comedy accessible to everyone and is like very encouraging otherwise inspiring i think all the comedians i see on stage 
are inspiring me. I mean, the amateur comedians, because when they success, they are successful, they invite you, they tell you that success is possible in comedy. I've started with many comedians that are now represented by agents. They've done the comedy store. They won the gong many times. And I'm not jealous of them. I'm thinking I should, you know, kick my own butt to be at that level first. And second, it's like, it's possible. It's not like something which, you know, it's due to hazard or because you are funnier than others. No, with work, dedication, with time, you can do it. You can totally do it. And that's hugely inspiring because I have that in the back of my mind thinking, the day you really put all your effort on it, you will there be there. You will be on BBC. You will be on Comedy Store. You will rub the world on stage. You know? <laughs> well, domination awaits, I think. Exactly. Humor domination. I have, I have a sign in front of me saying humor empire. <laughs> Okay, so as we're a not-so-serious business podcast about creativity, curiosity, and imagination, I'm thinking of comedy, and are all comedians highly curious? Oh, it should not even be a question. I mean, (laughs) of course, you can't be a comedian if you are not at least a tiny bit curious. Comedians are uh, modern philosophers, and maybe that's why you uh, you have yeah. you know interviewed so many in your uh, podcast, because it's their vision of life that make you laugh. They make you think. They make you laugh. They make you think in a funny way because they have this ability to focus on the funny side of life, and if you focus every day on the funny side of life, you end up rewiring your brain for funny and positivity. And so you see it everywhere after. Being a comedian, you are very observer. You do a lot of observation, observation of life, because that's what mm. is nurturing your, uh, your art. It's part of your process. And so, yeah, you are immensely curious and brave as well, because you go where nobody is going. You try things on stage. You are vulnerable. It taught me so much stand-up. It transformed me into the person I am today. As you were saying that, Vanessa, it absolutely strikes me that obviously comedians are curious and they, as you say, through those observations, they point out absurdities, they point out contradictions, they point out connections. You know, one of the great things you often see in the comedy is they tie one idea to another that no one else has seen. And then you go, oh, wow. And the surprise creates then the laugh, the recognition of... And that is exactly the definition of creativity. Creativity is when you put different concepts together. And for me, the the process of creating a joke in in itself is the same thing as, you know, creating something. It's a similar process of creating, of designing a product, for example. You have this idea, you know, comes from nowhere. You don't know where it comes from. And then you refine it, you polish it, you push it in front of your beta tester, a.k.a. the audience, and you try mm-hmm. to see, you know, does it hit the goal? Does it make them laugh? If not, you know, we, you work on it again and again until it hits the goal, until it makes everybody laugh every time. We were talking about this a few weeks back, was work in progress. I was saying I was at the Edinburgh Fringe and absolutely the work in progress idea with the comedian coming forward with some ideas, testing it, experimenting and going, well, if it didn't get a laugh, 
it then okay I'll, I'll work it again and and that created quite a different relationship between the comedian and the audience they knew he was trying and it was a draft and so there was a it was more relaxed it felt because there was some leeway being given and they were helping him find a better joke almost yeah. well anyway if it's uh, free yeah. nothing is free guys so you have to work you know yeah you'll be worried <laughs> yeah that's it the audience had some had a job exactly, to do you have a job yeah. to do but that's my uh, fringe i've been to the fringe many times for and i just did spots means like just a few minutes on stage at a, someone else's show but next year I'm planning a split show with a friend at the French, so I'm putting all my jokes together hey. and I have at least 30 minutes material to go to the French. <laughs> well, please come and try it out. Very cool. Try it out. Work in progress at Brighton Fringe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> come to Brighton. It's three or four months before Edinburgh. You can come and try it out. And I'll promise I will laugh at it if it's funny and I will heckle. Oh, wonderful. I love heckler. What's your best heckle, Vanessa? Have you had any good well, heckles? Yeah. So Great I, question. I used to, and I'm still not super comfortable with heckling because I'm French. So, you know, sometimes people, they heckle. I do stand up in English. So people are English and they heckle. And I'm like, I'm always fearing that I'm not going to understand what they are saying. And I had like some funny anecdotes like that. Like the, I think the first time I got heckled, I was in a club and I heard someone say something like shush or, or shut up. And I was like, I turned to the person and I said, shut up, you, you know, that was, that was the early beginning, you know. And then the, ah. the club owner turned to me and said, uh, Vanessa, uh, he was trying to help because someone was talking over you. I was like, oop. I really like this point about that about curiosity because john and i talk about this all the time when when you're curious and you walk around with a sense of wonder yeah. you see things that other people miss so put your phone down look up listen you know we often speak about active listening but i also like to talk about active looking because when you're really curious all of a sudden the whole world opens up to you and i, I think that's what's great uh, again, I sort of want to talk around comedy. I sort of explain to people just you find the the interesting in the really normal stuff that we all do on a day to day. So you might go, you know, when you're at the supermarket and you're in the line and the whole audience goes, "Ah, oh, yeah, I know that." There's that ability to find the I don't know the detail in the everyday. And so, yeah, how do you keep your curiosity high? What do you practice to get out, stay curious? Get out of my comfort zone. I think that's essential. That's yeah. what got me into comedy because I got out of way out of my comfort zone in trying stand up. Yeah. And since then, I uh, not taking the same way to go to work, talking to people you would not, you know, talk to in real life, read books that are not, you know, familiar to you, get exposed to new concepts, go to, uh, you know, exhibition, weird exhibition. It's like you know, this book from Julia Cameron way to creativity or something like that that's taking yourself in a date because you need to reconnect with the the child in you you know a child has no problem with yeah. imagination creativity zero problem they are creative yeah. 24 hours you know seven days a week because they they don't judge yeah. themselves they don't overthink stuff they don't intellectualize things. And we need to reconnect to that in order to be creative. And that means putting yourself in danger sometimes because the creativity doesn't come from routine. Routine is great. I love routine. But creativity comes from when you break the routine. 
and suddenly you know you you leave space you make space for something else it's clear that the pursuit of humor almost unlocks all those things it unlocks curiosity unlocks creativity unlocks imagination because the desire to create something that is funny will have you have to at least for me. apply those skills or think in yeah. that way at least for me yeah, yeah i right. think there are many paths to uh, creativity to imagination and comedians we choose the the path of humor because in a way it's it's service humor it's service it's different from painting or because painting can be highly rewarding on your own just because you paint and you create something wonderful and you are happy to hang it and look at it because it's aesthetically beautiful but humor doesn't exist if we don't have an audience it's a performance mm. like, like 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 ballet you yeah, know? that's it's, a really good we point need others and you have a feedback when you watch dance, which is performance as well. You have no feedback except like the upload at the end. But for us, we have the love. We immediately mm. know if we connected with the audience, if we, our goal is to make them laugh, literally. And making someone laugh is a service in a way. It's kindness. It's, you know, a way to love people. And we exist for that, solely for that. We have not done our job if other people are not laughing. A noble cause, arise, Saint Vanessa Marcy. <laughs> Maybe not, but, but for me, it's yeah, the higher purpose than just crafting a joke and being on stage. It's yeah. because when someone has had a hard day and he goes to a comedy club, for the few minutes you make them laugh, or he forgets all yeah. his trouble. He can have anything in his life. He's in the moment. He's in the flow. He laughs, and you can't. your brain can come back to the same state as it was before, if you have, yeah. if you are laughed. So if you are like depressed, you had anxiety, you had a bad day, you laugh and your day, you know, it's clearing all the bad, the negative energy and make you better. So that's why it's, you know, it's, we are at service of people. So Vanessa, this is a thought experiment. We've got a very special one for you today. It's called Blankety Blank. What we have is some jokes. Some of them are classics. Some of them are new. Some voted for the best joke of Edinburgh Fringe over the past few years. And what we'd like you to do is simply fill in the blank at the end of each joke to complete the punchline. So we've got just seven of these and we'll be keeping score. So here we go. The first one is, I'm not a fan of the new pound coin, but then again... I hate all blank. Money? <laughs> oh, it's not bad. Close, close. But it's I hate all mm. change. <laughs> and that was my... <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. That's, uh, ke- now I get it. <laughs> oh, yeah, good one. <laughs> all right, here we go. Uh, Simon, do you want to do the next one? I told my boss I was tired of being a human cannonball, so he blanked me. Um, so he fired me. Yay! Yay! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well done. That's uh, so one out of two. That's not bad. Okay. Here's the next one now. My dad has suggested that I register for a donor card. He's a man after my own blank. Um, hot? Yes! 
Very good. <laughs> now we need to credit the person here as well. Like, who's this from? So just to say that first one there, I'm not a fan of the new pound coin. That was Ken Cheng, 2017, Edinburgh Fringe. And that one there, my dad has suggested I register for a donor card, is Masai Graham. And that was a 2016 winner. The other jokes that are unattributed are just random ones I have found in various joke books. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Our next one is, I just found out that I'm colorblind. The diagnosis came right out of the... Um, Come on, Vanessa. You can do this. Uh, came right out of the. I just found out I'm colorblind. The diagnosis came right out of the. Color book? I don't know. <laughs> came right out of the purple. <laughs> you, I don't. Ah, uh, <laughs> I was wondering whether this might be lost in translation. Have you heard the phrase coming out of the blue? Where something comes as a surprise? Blue, yeah. Ah, blue. okay. So that's yeah, yeah, yeah. out of the blue. Yeah, then, they're colorblind. Yeah, anyway, if we have to explain a joke, it's going to work very well. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it is a good joke. Exactly, if you have to explain it. Exactly. It is, but I like it. it's an afterthought. You need to think about it. So. All right, <laughs> next one. Number five. Oh, my bro, for me. <laughs> How does the Pope pay for things online? He uses his blank account. He uses his... Is a secret... <laughs> secret. Don't say uh, secret Swiss pay, bank yeah. account. No, that's... <laughs> we don't want to be saying stuff like that. He uses his PayPal account. You get it? PayPal? 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 Yes, well, you get the no. idea there. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, right. Simon. Now, what I'm finding out is the ones that you've sort of sourced on your own slash come from your own comedy book don't work that well <laughs> with the other ones that do. Anyway, okay, last one. I've decided to sell my Hoover slash vacuum cleaner. Well, it was just collecting blank. Dust. Yes. Hey. Well done. That is a, a classic. And that's from... 2014 Edinburgh Fringe Festival from Tim Vine. Love a bit of Tim. And that was Blankety Blanked. All right, we're going to have a quick rapid fire round just to wrap us up. Quickly, what's one thing you couldn't do without in your life right at this moment? Netflix. Good answer. That's often said, actually. No, yeah. but I mean, I, uh, funny enough, I subscribed to Netflix a month ago and I realized, oh my God, there are so many documentaries and startup special. It's a gold mine. I love it. <laughs> now, we're building the Occupationals Manigesto. So, what one piece of all your learning or wisdom do you think should be included on our Manigesto? I think I've, I mentioned it, but what I wanted to say is, for me, humor is a way to kindness because through a joke, mm. it contributes to add levity to this world. And being a comedian, I help to alleviate people's problem. And leading with humor is my, my, my way to make the world uh, better, kinder, and helping people to laugh together. Oh, what a lovely thing to say as well. Now, look, is there a book we should be reading oh, I just, other I, than your uh, own? Yeah, that's my own first. But uh, I finished, uh, I finished yeah, the, the Humor Code by uh, Joel Warner and Peter McGraw, and I loved it. It was that I, I postponed it for a while because 
I thought it was going to be academic and I didn't want to be influenced in my own work. But I realized that it's a quest and I loved it. Like two guys, an academic and a journalist went on a quest to crack the, the humor code. And that gave me an idea because I really would like to do the same thing and to travel around to do my own humor quest. That would be awesome. I think that's my next challenge. <laughs> The quest for the holy grail of comedy. Exactly. <laughs> um, and finally, Vanessa, let's project ourselves into the future. You're now retired. It's the twilight years and you're being led into your retirement home and you're going to be introduced to the guests in the retirement home. They're set in the lounge and the nurse brings you in. She said, hello, everybody. This is Vanessa. She's... How would you like to be introduced? Uh, you didn't say "is." You say "she" when you were you were, she. You, you, you shared a question she. because I thought it was an English polite way to ask me what would uh, would I like to see written on my tombstone. <laughs> <laughs> that will work. Well, yeah, okay. Go on, go with the headstone. What's on the headstone? So on the headstone, <laughs> here is Vanessa. She lived fully. She learned plenty, and she laughed heartily. She humbly tried to make you laugh, and if she failed, too late. Sorry. That's a big headstone. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a few headstones. It's a collection. <laughs> Was this a mausoleum you want erected? Yeah, that's it. You know, and, and a QR have, code uh, if, you want, if you want to know more. You know, yeah. the, the family, you know, the family, you know, uh, yeah. things like they have a house, and, you know, so it would be written all over. <laughs> <laughs> Now, look, you're up to so much. Like when we read out your bio at the beginning, as I said, um, every time we have a guest, I read through their bio and I sort of feel very insignificant about my, my own and now life, you feel, but in a positive now, way. Now you, know? you feel less intimidated? Given all of those great things you're doing, what are you up to next? What's some cool stuff you've got on the horizon? My book. I'm about to publish uh, my yeah. uh, my first book about humor. I hope there I will write many others. So I'm in the last stretch of correction, but it should be out in November in French and hopefully 2023 in English. So hope you will uh, soon be able to uh, read it. It's about the power of humor and how to develop your leadership, strengthen your confidence and master the art of the comeback. It's filled with case studies, interviews and tips. It's not necessarily going to be funny, but it's going to be at the service of leaders to help them to implement, yeah. you know, to use humor at work every day. Amazing. I look forward to reading that and wish you all the best with that. And finally, uh, where can people find you, Vanessa? How can they connect with you, buy your drinks? <laughs> where do we find you? Well, mostly uh, in the virtual world, mostly on LinkedIn. That's where I'm the most reactive. Yep. Then my two websites, leadingwithhumor.com and drvanessamarcy.com, where you find all my courses, training, updates. And to buy me a drink, well, in October in London, uh, at comedy, uh, at yeah. comedy clubs, most part of the time. I don't drink beer, but I like my shandy. So, look, it's been a real pleasure to have you on the show. And look, yeah. if okay with you, I'd love to have you back when you're booked oh, yeah. out. We can talk about that some more because I know we're, you know, it's, we're all, all doing this on the weekend. So, we're, we promise to keep our time short to make sure we're all still smiling at each other. But there's so much more I want to ask you about this. I literally feel like I've only scratched the surface mm. of, of this. So, Me too. Yeah, uh, in the new year, we'd love to have, or even later this year, but in the new year, We'd love to have you back on, talk a little bit more about your book and some of the things out of that. And we've got another thought experiment, which we've run out of time for, but we'd, uh, we'd, we'd love to do that with you as well. So, look, you 
Peter, thanks so much for being on our show. And you're right at the heart of all the things we talk around you, being curious, using your creativity, being brave, going out in the world, out of your comfort zone. So, look, thanks so much for joining us. And, yeah, look, I'm going to say now we can't wait to have you back on. Thank you. Me too. Can't wait. And thanks so much, Vanessa. Never dare to be funny. John, that was a, well, as always, like what a great, great, great guest. And I, I only, with the tip of the iceberg, I think that's there. There's like, there's probably three, four, five shows in just that one yeah. topic. And it's the yeah. tip of the tip. Wow. I think we got to the tip of the tip. The t- <laughs> if there's such a thing, I feel quite bereft. I need, I need more, man. <laughs> imagine you can now add that to you have that iceberg diagram where you go you know Stephen Covey does it and they go this is what you see and this is below the surface but this is like this is the tip and this is the next bit down and then the next bit down and then there's the yeah. water yeah mm. we've got a lot to learn there, well I suppose in terms of takeaways maybe for me the first thing is there is so much to it just the the way she dissected it and actually has said look there's a real science to this and humour can play into so many things to ourselves as individuals, as leaders, or as teams. It, it can offer so much. I think that's one of the key takeaways for me is just actually just going, yeah. there's a huge amount this in this. I'm really looking forward to the book, The Power of Humour. I'm definitely Absolutely. going to be reading that. I love the idea of humour being a form of kindness. I thought that was a lovely sentiment. Yeah. And I get it because you realise that humour does serve other people in some ways you know you put something out there as humor to bring levity to ease pain and have people forget their troubles or their worries yeah so you know kind of realize that but it was nice to have vanessa encapsulate it in that short sharp sentiment and so different to many of the other arts as in your your humor is nothing or no humor comedy is nothing without an audience so it's that interaction whereas a lot of the arts is you know i've talked about for the sake of just doing it but you generally i don't know you're probably not going to go i wrote some great comedy today which is it it's sort of nothing without people isn't yeah, it? yeah write some jokes and then just put them away somewhere okay, i really enjoyed writing those yeah <laughs> <laughs> and there's a 10%, you know, that, that, yeah, the writing is a good thing, but you have to, yeah, yeah. So I, I love that really intersection of people in the arts as well. Look, look, for me, I really like this idea of just be, and obviously this is, we knew this to some extent, but you have to be highly curious. If you look at the world with eyes wide open, we come back to this each and every week, you will see things that other people miss. And curiosity is anything that is, uh, anyone can do it starting now. That's a simple thing to do. And I like this thought of where comedians are modern-day philosophers, yeah. Yeah, perfect. They take us somewhere. We wouldn't go make us ask great questions. And also they sort of challenge us in ways through humour to ask some questions we might not have felt comfortable doing in a in a normal environment maybe. So, look, that's that's me. But I'm, I'm looking at this bottle of wine I've started, so I think we need to, to wrap up. So. <laughs> yeah, that's it. We don't want to open the second bottle, do we? Uh, <laughs> No, I don't normally record on the uh, a weekend evening, so um, I think we need to wrap this up. John, so look, as always. Well, we'd like people to subscribe, obviously, tell their friends, listen in, rate us. That's always good. That's useful for us to get, and it's useful feedback. Lovely to hear what people think. And 
Email us, Email. John's got set up a fax, occupationalphilosophers at gmail.com. Bunch of socials on our website, which is occupationalphilosophers.com. And as always, this week, we encourage you to stay curious, have fun, make stuff, play more, but most importantly, date life. So, John, I was doing a little bit more digging, and this year's uh, joke from the Edinburgh Fringe, the number one joke from Masai Graham, I tried to steal spaghetti from the shop, but the female guard saw me, and I couldn't get blank. Faster. Boom, boom. <laughs> <laughs>